Hey, it's your friendly neighborhood dumbass here, and I'm talking with my good friend Chris Weber, host of C-Web Sunday School, as well as the Paranormal Skeptic Academy. And I was just thinking that together we can wish the Amateur Skeptics a happy 100th episode. The Amateur Skeptics? Is that a podcast? Uh, yeah, it's, um, actually one of your sister podcasts in my dumbass media empire. Wait, I may have heard it before. Let me look through my list of podcasts here, because I do listen to a lot of them, and it may have slipped to the cracks. Let me see. 87 Honda Civic Repair Podcast. How to Set the Clock on Your VCR Podcast. The Dumbass's Guide to 8-Tracks. Uh, okay, look, um, this just isn't going to work. Uh, Brian, the host of the Amateur Skeptics, has a bit of a temper, and if I send him audio suggesting that the podcast isn't as popular as his ego suggests it should be, he's liable to beat me with a tuna again. Um, so I'll just cut this part out, and maybe you could just pretend that you're an avid listener? Hold on, did you say Brian? Are you talking about Brian Thompson? No, you're thinking about Amateur Scientists. This is Amateur Skeptics. You know, I've mentioned them on my show several times. Oh yeah, that's right. You have a podcast too, don't you? <sighs> okay, look. Why don't we just record the message? Okay, if you insist. Just let me get into my acting headspace here. The Amateur Skeptics are my favorite podcast. The Amateur Skeptics are my favorite podcast. The Amateur Skeptics are my favorite podcast. Okay, let's do this. <clears throat> this is your friendly neighborhood dumbass here, along with my good friend... Chris Weber, and we're very excited to wish the amateur skeptics... A happy 100th episode! Way to go, guys! Yeah, I'm super excited for you guys. You guys are absolutely wonderful. Your podcast is awesome. I listen to you every single week. Uh, it's every second week. Right, I listen to you guys every second week. And I just love you guys and the way you talk about uh, skepticism and other such things. Uh, yeah, exactly, Chris. Thank you, Amateur Skeptics, for bringing us 100 episodes of Skepticism and Other Such Things. Alright, are we finished? Yeah, we're done. I've just got to make a note here to make sure that I edit this thing properly. Damn it, where did I put my pen? Oh, well, I'm sure I'll remember. Hello oh, and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 100. We survived. Yes, we did. <laughs> well, and so, and we're all in the same room. How we manage that is... And we're actually all wearing pants. Normally we don't do the podcast. We are not. No, we are not all wearing pants. Oh. Are, are we? How, I about, th- how I, about knickers? Everybody I think it's, their knickers on? I think it's for the audience to figure out who's not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a, we've got actually got a bunch of people here this evening. As usual, we have Kimberly. Hey, everybody. Well, maybe not as usual. Yeah. Well, I'm here tonight. <laughs> and uh, we got Ian. Good evening, people. And Mac. Oh, you're going to need to get closer to the mic for this. All right. And Terry. Hey, happy climate denier season, everyone. Oh, yes. <laughs> and we put this up on in Facebook, and the only person who chose to join us <laughs> and what he doesn't know, right, uh, is Mike Smith. Hello, thanks for having me. Is it Mike or Michael? Mike. Okay. Well, how's everybody doing this evening? 
Doing great. Yeah. Nice to see faces I haven't seen in a long time. I am meeting Ian and Mac for the first time, which is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird to all be in the same room. Normally, I don't have to look at any of you, and it's much easier just to move on. <laughs> <laughs> is it easier to bring yourself to completion yeah, without right. seeing <laughs> <laughs> alone, not wearing pants? Yeah, it's way easier. Yeah. No, this is this is weird, recording all in the same room. I mean, because normally we're over Skype, and I can't see anybody, and we all have faces for radio. <laughs> this is true. Except yeah. for Mike. Except Mike is lovely. Mike is a lovely man. So, yeah. So, hey, um, how about a uh, how about we do my, my stupid quiz? Is everybody ready? Do it. And I'm sure that um, everybody is prepared adequately for this. As much as I prepared okay. for my last drug test. You, you guys, excellent. <laughs> well, that's, that's the kind of preparation I count on. Is this a real or fake article name? How how gay should your husband be before you divorce him? <laughs> real. I'm going that's true. Real. That's real. I've got written on my wrist real. <laughs> okay. I'll go with real. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept real. This article is actually from The Onion, so it's a real fake oh, okay. one. But I did do some research because I thought, well, th th this has to be, there has to be some precedent for this somewhere. So <clears throat> I found, um, I found out my husband is gay. Should I, div um, should I file for divorce? It turns out to be a much more complicated issue. And actually, I got the story, the, the real story from the examiner. And it, there's not a lot of detail there. So. Hey, did you know, by the way, just trivia fact for your quiz, mm -hmm. this week is the last print edition of The Onion. They're going all online from now on. Really? Yeah. It is very sad. Yeah, I agree. I have mixed feelings about it. But makes a lot of sense. I used to tease my friends, my the Flatlanders, because we had it in print in Denver and almost nobody else does. Yeah. All right, so if I were to enter the number 00, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 is that 0, 0, 8, 8, You eight need zeros. one more zero, 0, Yeah, okay, zero, 0, What would I be doing? Waste of time. Well, um, <laughs> Coding. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? How about a nuclear launch code? No, that's a little too easy to guess. Well, I think it's actually the arming code for the missile, and to launch it, you still was still a little bit more complicated. But that is the code that during the Cold War that they used for, uh, I think, arming the warhead. Now, war games really kind of brought the drama up because, if I remember correctly, that was a lot of other numbers and even some letters involved. Um, I think if Matthew Broderick knew it was zero 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 zero, might have been easier. It might have been. It might have been a shorter but, movie. But I, I really think that the article is getting it wrong because I read somewhere else that it was actually that's just the, that's the code they used to arm the missile that the two keys and everything like that 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 is actually um that is actually true um i've never launched one myself no you know if zero 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 you almost have to <laughs> well, right so i i don't think it's the actual launch code i think it's the arming code is what i is what i read on a better article but this this particular article that i'm referring to came from the daily fail so okay there you go how many numbers um, just out of curiosity. It was probably just a zero. What else would you, I mean, why, why would you spend the money? Is it a full zero to nine number? <laughs> because if not, if it is, that Well, what it, what it comes right down there. to is that there, that there is, there's a compromise between complexity and, and making sure that you'll be able to launch this thing in time, but yet having enough security so that it doesn't happen by accident. And so, really, what Russian spy would guess zero, 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 okay, zero, 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 zero. Both keys, right? So, <laughs> so what, what level of security? Seven zeros? I, I don't know. I, 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 you know. Next question. I want to oh, prove yeah, I'm smart. Okay, right. Okay, great. Britain has a talent for scam. What? What's Britain the question? Britain has a talent for scam. <laughs> Medicine. Scam. Artists. That's good. Yeah, good. No? Anybody else? 
scam phone lines, actually. Wow. So people that were um, calling into the TV show, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. What um, Britain has a lot of premium phone lines. And so and so you can buy these premium phone lines. And when people call them, they get charged a certain amount. There's a whole lot of scams that actually are involved with these scam phone lines. This particular scam required somebody to dial the wrong number, thinking that they were voting and they would get a message. Thank you for voting, voting, which, of course, they didn't vote. Instead, they just paid um, uh, a, a one pound and pence to make that phone call. But actually, this is a this is a problem in Britain because people can do stuff like if they steal your cell phone, they can put in the so that it relays through the premium number, so you get charged extra for making phone calls. So a lot of scams can can, uh, can happen with these premium lines. The other the other scam that that people will sometimes do is they'll go into a place of business, ask to use their phone, and then call the premium line and keep it on for as long as possible. And then of course the bill goes to the yeah. But I don't think that in the U.S. I don't think we have a lot of those premium lines. We had nine. We did. Long, yeah. But I think those, I think, Mark, those are... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know that those still exist, but how hard is it to get one? Apparently, these premium numbers are fairly easy to get. Is it like these uh, tags you used to put on your phone and dial a five-digit number so you could supposedly pay less for long-distance services? I think it's similar to that, yeah. Yeah, that you can do use it for that as well. And that you don't get to... You don't recognize it as a scam number because it's not like one nine hundred where you knew you were paying, right? Exactly. Even if you didn't yeah, know it for. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> Apparently, they don't announce themselves. Um, how did a divorce lawyer um, find find an extra opportunity to bill his client? Found out he was Um. Okay. That's a good answer. This is a, yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Anybody? He represented both parties. Yeah, well, that would be good. Wouldn't it? <laughs> but it's worse than that. And this this comes from uh, the Huffington Post and also Westward. I got it from the Westward 20 Worst People of the Year. Um, Tom P. Lowell um, was was handling a divorce case, and he um, started having um, uh, he started uh, sleeping with the client and billing her for his time. <laughs> Oh, wow. wow, he must have been good. Yeah, he, did, right? <laughs> <laughs> he did resign from the case, but he sent her a bill for that too. Wow. Yeah. I have a feeling you played by me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> what, um, what is not an original Fox News idea? The truth. Bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's not even an idea, right? You know, they're the only network that has to say and remind us that they're fair and balanced. <laughs> um, no, the war on Christmas. Is not an original it's idea. It's not an original Fox idea. Apparently, um, and this comes from, uh, I got it from USA Today, and also the original was uh, Mental Floss. In the 19th century, Boston Puritans banned the holiday. It was banned from 1959 to 1961. Uh, and actually, people were required to work that day, and they sent people, uh, they sent criers out to, to yell, no Christmas on that day. Which brings up another interesting point because the, uh, you know, the uh, religious right would like to tell us the reason that we have a seven day work week is because of, you know, because of Christians and that we don't have to work all those days because of Christians, a not the day. unions, of course. Five day, five day work week. Well, so a five day work week right. instead of a seven day, oh, okay. right? Because of well, Christians. Right. He rested. Yeah. Well. But going off of the War of Christmas thing, yeah, that's one of the things I've always loved about. It. Technically, you know, the atheists were not the ones to start it. It was um, Orthodox and Christianity and Jews were actually the ones who started the War of Christmas. It wasn't recently that they were scapegoat. Well, the history is even more complex because it wasn't a national holiday until after this big Boston brouhaha, I right. believe, and yeah. uh, and before Charles Dickens, people didn't celebrate Christmas the way we think that they always did. Right. So when uh, um, Christmas Carol is was created in order to create a history that didn't. Right. right. 
Just like Fox News. Nice. Point. Let's not forget about the Clement and Paul and Mike was here. That was where we got a lot of our ideas about it looks like. So, all right, last one. I'm sorry, real quick. Did that okay. one specify his whiteness? It did not specify him as white. Mm-hmm. It did, however, say that he, he shaped like a bowl full of jelly. Okay. All right, last one. Have uh, we gotten any of these right yet? No, and you're really kind of not supposed to. Oh. It is kind of a bullshit <laughs> quiz, right? I said that right up front, right? I believe you said stupid. But a stupid quiz. It is. It, well, but Terry got one right last week. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. One of them. Well, we knew the Sylvia Brown. Okay. Oh, that's well, right. But, oh, right. The Sylvia Brown. Right. Okay. Guess who um, is probably celebrating with non-alcoholic jello shots in Utah this week? Oh, that polygamist guy yeah, yeah. and his wives. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And of course, he's on the <laughs> All right, so you each get a point. Um, yeah, I don't mean Utah, the state itself, is actually healing. I mean, they're healing. Uh, well, yeah, and and actually, the judge held up the um, that uh, parts of the um, polyg- anti polygamy law polygamy law are um, non constitutional. So, and I I generally tend to agree. I don't have a particular problem with with polygamy, but the the FLDS Church has, there's other issues there. It's the child bride issues. Exactly, those are the issues, right? More than the polygamy. All right. Well, can I just say those damn Christians trying to redefine marriage again? Yes. (laughs) That'll be better in post. Don't worry. I'll add laughter and dick joke. All right. So what do we want to move on to here, too? What do we want to do? Oh, do we? We we should actually do. We have a masturbation moment by Terry, and she even brought the lube. The Amateur Skeptics present... Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. It's a party. And, and it's yeah, it's pipe <laughs> lube. You know, you say lube, and and actually, her kids wanted to know if it was, you know, if it tasted good. But and, but it's not liquid, and so. Wow, I didn't even pay to get in here. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a whole party. Uh, no so, cover charge, but they do check ID. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's why her kids had to leave. <laughs> exactly. Yep. All right, Terry. So why don't you uh, tell us? So I have a correction to something I said about lube a couple of months ago. There are two common types of bicycle drivetrain lubricant, wet and dry. I brought along both with a rag and some wet wipes if you all want to test it out and see what I'm talking about. <laughs> I had previously advocated the use of wet lube in all riding conditions. My small town bike whisperer mechanic buddy turned me on to synthetic polymer wet lube and I never looked back. If applied correctly and sparingly, it's awesome. It's now come to my attention that not everyone gets off on wet lube, and I regret my previous intolerance on this issue. (laughs) My big city mechanic recommends a Teflon-based dry lube in all but the most adverse riding conditions. He feels that the dry is nicer because it's thin and very lightweight. He claims that the dry lube tends not to collect dirt and gunk as readily, leaving the drivetrain cleaner and easier to maintain. If you've sampled my lube, you can see that the dry emerges almost like a fine mist, (laughs) while the wet spurts out in large sticky globs. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I had a follow-up conversation with other mechanics and cyclists at the big city shop. It was a very non-random sample. I've only ever talked to youngish white men about bike lube preferences. All the guys I spoke with immediately expressed a very strong preference for dry lube. One said he hates the way the thick, wet lube collects dirt and makes the drivetrain all sloppy and noisy. 
A couple of them talked about wet lube's propensity for collecting dust and particles and then working those abrasives into the entire drivetrain. Another mechanic said you can always tell when someone's been using wet lube because of the sullied condition of the drivetrain. <laughs> the only disadvantage of the dry lube is that you have to reapply it often. It wears off quickly, which is why I traditionally prefer a little slick of wet lube that will stay on even in extreme riding conditions. So the take-home is that everyone has his or her own personal lube preferences, and we need to make room for a variety of perspectives. Winter is wet lube riding season, but I'll try dry this summer and report back. Is this where we... That would be even messier <laughs> than the wet <laughs> and, and is this where we put our um, advertisement for adamandeve.com right here? <laughs> right. Or the bike shop that asked me not to mention their name. <laughs> I'll bet they did. <laughs> <laughs> right, but adamandeve.com probably wouldn't care. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that that really makes a, a masturbation moment that can be sponsored by the Dumbass Media Network. I know, yeah. Well, see, I was saying earlier that I'm more comfortable talking about cycling as a metaphor for how I masturbate rather than right. how I actually <laughs> masturbate. I, I just am trying to imagine masturbating with dry loop. Well, that's it. Why would you even use it? Just go I, I straight for the wet. Yep. All right. <laughs> Did you understand what you were getting into? No. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's asking to leave now. <laughs> please, Wait, our guest just left. Please unlock the door. <laughs> yeah, we had to lock him in. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Our bigot of the week. Sorry, we 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 skip in the creature feature. Oh, I don't know, Mac. Are you are you, you 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 forgot your notes? You tell me. Let's go ahead and hit the creature feature. Okay. If we have if we have time to fill, otherwise. I'll... Okay, great. I wanted to I wanted to leave time for. Those. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, and and if it'd probably be better with your notes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So bigot of the week. Yeah, please. Okay. That's why I I I, I <clears throat> didn't ask, but I was pretty sure. That... So the bigot of the week is. Wait for it. The GOP. <laughs> wow. From Politicus USA, quote, Part of not being misogynistic is stopping the pretense that there is no war on women and that women are just overly sensitive to Republican policies meant to deny women freedom. No one needs to paint Mitch McConnell as anti-woman. He has a voting record that tells a story, and he belongs to a party of legitimate rape shutting down blessings of pregnancies via rape. End quote. GOP leadership has realized that the mean Democrats effectively portray Republicans in Congress as bigotist, sexist assholes. 2014 presents a minefield of opportunities to showcase their inherent sexism. The solution to insensitivity doesn't lie in fostering basic human compassion, decency, and inclusion in the party leadership. Rather, John Boehner's solution is to send a bunch of rich old white dudes to sensitivity training so they can learn how to talk at females. <laughs> it seems to be working already. There's evidence that individual Republican candidates are getting the message. Politico quotes Virginia Representative Scott Regal artfully avoiding offending the women folk from the article. Representative Scott Regal, who is running against the Democratic woman next year, said he wants to focus on economic issues, not social issues. I look at it this way. I wake up every day not thinking about the social issues. Well done, GOP. And meanwhile, go ahead and keep on voting down the Violence Against Women Act, the Fair Pay Act, and all the other legislation that would even slightly benefit anyone who is not a rich old white dude. We vagina Americans will keep on not voting for you. Vagina. I like it. Vagina Americans. I wish it was mine. I think it's from Jezebel. Is it from Jezebel? It sure. does not surprise me. <laughs> So now, the, now let me ask you this. Is this to actually get votes or is this just to get them as much tail as Democrats? This is to try to keep them from saying shit like legitimate rape in public anymore. Just to try to have them keep that part of it closeted because it tends not to win them friends. 
What happened to the good old days where you could say legitimate rape with a straight face? But, yeah. <laughs> my problem, my big problem is that this is, they're doing this to not offend women, but men, uh, I'm offended by this. Absolutely. By, by the legitimate rape. Yeah. And so, so this idea that, that, well, I mean, that, they're blaming women for for their loss for right? being sensitive. Well, for being sensitive and and yeah. for losing. They they're blaming women for their loss. Right. And yeah. Minorities, right? Let's uh, and that's why so we got to keep them from not voting. Is what how we're going to fix that. Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. I saw a uh, I was telling you earlier that I saw a Twitter feed that was a compilation of funny jokes about this whole thing and someone said, "It's really easy, Vayner. Just treat women like you do men. It's like you treat Pedro, that guy who washes your boat." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Oh, and okay. Now let me ask you that this next one about the homeopathy death. The original article says nothing about homeopathy, and I don't know where that stuff's coming from. Oh, did it not link? What about the source? The source. That's what I'm saying. The source has nothing about homeopathy. The other one says homeopathy, but the source says nothing. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it's okay because it's interesting. I and thought it said something about her using. Right. Okay. Yeah. But holistic, holistic remedies. Oh, does it, it say it says, that in yeah. the source? Yeah. Okay. Is this the source you've linked to? There are yeah. two two things. It was a belief system in homeopathic medicine that contributed to this death. Yeah. Act, that's what the police said. The, the uh, <laughs> no. Okay, I'm sorry. That's the that's the that's the article. The source is the next article. Mm -hmm. It's this one. This is the source. Well, they're both sort. They're both articles about. They the same. are. Are they about the same yeah. thing? Yep. Yeah. I just. Uh, Another source, another source of information about this. Okay, story. because you put in their source, and so okay. Right. Sorry. Okay, so that's fine. So, so they, so it is. It's not the origin source. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So tell me what happened. Okay. <laughs> Let's start so over. Would you like me to do it? Yeah, go ahead okay. if you want. I feel like I've been talking. Sorry. I thought this other one was that was the original source, and the other one was an extrapolation. No. So sorry. How did you want to introduce this segment? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I do. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what the fuck are they thinking? A homeopathy death. What is going on here? I hate these kinds of stories. A Calgary seven-year-old named Ryan Lovett died in March of a severe strep infection, Streptococcus pyogenes. His mom gave him homeopathic medicine instead of taking him to an actual doctor. Canadian law requires parents to provide genuine medical care for their children, so the mom was arrested and charged with neglect. Strep is a bacterial infection in a variety of strains, but it's very often treatable with antibiotics. This poor kid's mom gave him magic water instead. My understanding of homeopathy is that the remedies are traditionally water that contains an essence of the cure. As an example, a remedy for insomnia might begin with a molecule or two of caffeine. More on that in a minute. The trace amount of caffeine is then diluted with more and more water to a level of dilution that requires some absurd amount of water, like all the water on the planet. The small vial of water they call medicine gets shaken in a whole bunch of times. The dilution and shaking allegedly strengthen the remedy. In the topsy-turvy opposite world of homeopathy, like cures like. So caffeine or some other stimulant is indicated for treating insomnia. Nothing about the mechanism of homeopathy is plausible. Who knows what the homeopathic remedy for strep infection is? Probably essence of strep, whatever that is. It wasn't anything that actually killed the bacteria that were causing the infection. Failing to adequately treat the infection allowed the strep bacteria to eventually kill this child. It's one thing for adults to subscribe to nonsense dogma that results in their own death, but a child should never suffer because of his parents' pre-scientific ideology. Ryan was bedridden for 10 days before suffering a seizure and dying. The investigating officer stated that they have no medical record of any kind for this kiddo. Not at all. He wasn't in the system ever. I know people like this in real life. They give birth to an unlicensed midwife at home and never take their child to an actual doctor for medical care. They fly under the radar by seeking alternative health care practitioners like homeopaths. And if they don't homeschool or unschool, they send their kids to private schools that don't have to meet state requirements for immunization and medical oversight. 
The mom's family and friends report that she was a very attentive mother, and they're shocked by the charges. I'm sure she was a good mother. I bet she was intensely involved in parenting. If she fits the model I'm familiar with, she made sure Ryan didn't eat any conventionally grown produce or ingest any refined sugar or play with toys that require batteries. Throughout, I'm sure she had his best interest at heart, but she was tragically misinformed about the alleged dangers of conventional medical care. She must have been truly terrified of doctors and Western medicine to allow him to suffer for 10 days. Has a lot of parallels with the cases we see all the time of religious people praying over dying kids instead of getting medical treatment. In all these types of cases, I'm not sure how much to blame the parents or how much to blame the nonsense that people are feeding them. I think we should arrest the homeopaths yeah. in addition. Don, her father, Don Lovett, there's a quote in here from him saying that um, basically he was extremely loved, but also that she would provide Tylenol and antibiotics when he was sick. How did she get antibiotics well, if she never took question. him to the that's doctor? A good question. So there's no medical record. You know, my the other thing is the the other question I had because I think that there there's some ambiguity here. Ten days and ten days bedridden. I think that's pretty obvious, right? But at what point do you go to the doctor? It's always it's always a. I mean, with kids, I think you you default on the side of going, right? Well, but, and in Canada, it's a different scenario because they have right, health care, yeah. right? Start a child, <clears throat> suffer seizure, which means what killed him was. That's what it sounds like, yeah. And so even with that, you can't get the. But yeah, should have she should have taken and gotten the. App. What I'm curious about is, I guess I'm curious about. I understand not wanting to go to the doctor in the states because you know he might be setting yourself up huge, huge, huge bills. Canada free healthcare. It's about purity. It's about the pristine purity of a child's body and his bodily integrity, and not risking giving him vaccines or giving him medicine that would, um, you know, sully his system. You know, they. I don't see if she was religious or if that played into this, but in some communities, it's considered a lack of faith. Right. If you go to the doctor versus having faith in God to, to do the healing. Well, there's also a scare of life. You hear that all the time. Genetic food. The homeopath, they definitely follow that law. Anything, you know, actually minds good. So Stephen Novella reported on this on the Skeptics Guide, and he said that doctors gave the family members antibiotics prophylaxis to prevent them from getting the infection. They took that. Afterwards. After. Right. Right. Yeah. But there was another same thing in here where, where the where the father said uh, that he had flu-like symptoms, and you don't take a child to the doctor for flu-like symptoms. And that is completely wrong. In fact, you would take them for flu especially if they've been sick for that long because of dehydration. Oh, There's yeah, so many they, reasons. Yeah. So, I mean, these yeah. people are, are making excuses for a no, four. I, I mean, like yeah. Okay, let's see if it blows over. But 10 days? Right, 10 days. No, there's nothing wrong. Incapacitated, too. Right. Like, yeah. There's some out. cognitive dissidence going on here, though. I mean, they didn't want to admit. They don't want to still admit that, that something was done wrong. I mean, just uh, by the justifications that are going on. These people are in pain, too. You know, so, it, so it's hard to, to pick it apart right now, too. Well, and how much do you blame the mom for being susceptible <sighs> to this bill of goods? When I hear her dad talk, I don't. I blame him. I mean, it, it goes downhill, yeah, right? Yeah, there's a level of, um, you know, people basically being a cop, sitting there saying, you do that, we're not going to step up, we'll, we'll come up with excuses, just like... Uh, Enabling. Enabling. Yeah, yes. enabling. Uh, you know, see that a lot. Family's enabling. Well, of course the dad thinks she's going to give him Tylenol and antibiotics. He's not there every day, though, right? So he doesn't see that she's not taking him to the doctor. Yeah, it's a tough call. But I think after 10 days, I mean, it's negligence. Okay. So I have mixed feelings about them offering antibiotics prophylaxis to the survivors. Uh, I don't. I mean, they have to. Right. And I'm not, I'm not a monster. I understand but, what you're saying, but yeah. yeah. But I don't know that they're they're going to be repeat offenders. You know, we see with the the followers of Christ Church, they're repeat offenders. They, they know 
that, that what they're doing is harmful. Yeah, I agree. And my read on this woman is, you know, it's affluent, stay-at-home mom, educated, yeah. you know, anti-science. It could be. Yeah, well. yeah that's my guess. No kidding. All right. Uh, we're going to skip this game. So we have Mike Smith with us here, and he is a non-expert who speaks for the ACLU and for FFRF. And uh, you've you've done a couple of – we saw you originally, Terry and I did, um, at the Atheist Alliance – no, what was it, Kimberly? The Colorado Secular Conference. Yeah, and you were talking about um, the Good News Club that day, I believe. Yeah, so I'm a volunteer speaker for the ACLU Colorado. The mission of the ACLU is to protect, extend, defend – the civil liberties of all people in Colorado through education, litigation, and advocacy. Um, I'm on their speakers bureau, and I tend to take requests that they get for church-state separation. And in this case, um, the conference reached out to ACLU. ACLU reached out to me and said, "Could you take this?" That's how I ended. Okay. And so, and so, the Good News Club is not necessarily always your focus. No, it's not. What What are, what are the main things that you're involved with? You know. Um, I have a strong interest in church-state separation okay. uh, due to my background and um, what I've experienced growing up. It's also why I work with the Freedom from Religion Foundation, okay. uh, again, as a volunteer for the most part. Um, but when it comes to the ACLU, I, I get requests for any type of speaking to get in. Most of them I turn down because they're out of my area of special things like the death penalty or um, miscellaneous, what does ACLU do? Sometimes I'll do something like that. But mostly, they know me as a church-state separation go-to guy, okay. and I am one of a few that do that for me. Well, I guess the other the other thing, we've talked about this before, is the day of prayer. And you're involved with that as, too, as well, right? I am. Um, I'm actually a co-plaintiff in a case against uh, Governor Hickenlooper in the state of Colorado, and it's in the at the Supreme Court right now. And that's for the governor declaring a state day of prayer and encouraging all people in the state of Colorado to pray on, I think it's first Thursday or some Thursday in May. And um, that's been going on since about 2004. We brought the lawsuit in 2008, and uh, it was, we lost in district court, and then that was overturned on appeal by a unanimous three-judge panel. And then after that, the, the state appealed to the Supreme Court. So why is this important? Why, why, do, why should we fight this fight? Why, why do, I mean, what, what, what are the repercussions of, of asking everybody to pray? It, the way they're doing it is it lends to an environment of hostility and discrimination against non-believers. And in fact, it, it violates a preference cause of the Constitution pretty clearly. It's, it's an infringement upon um, the rights of all Coloradans, whether they pray or not, to be told by the government, not only do we think you should pray, but here's some suggested Bible verses to go along with that. They're actually working with um, the National Day of Prayer Task Force, which is headed, headed by Shirley Dobson, headquartered down at the Focus on the Family headquarters in Colorado Springs. And um, they've they've had this drive the last decade or so where they've gotten all 50 states governors to issue this national the state day of prayer proclamation. So don't Christians pray anyway? Why do we need a special day? Uh, yeah, good question. We don't. But isn't this also in violation of their own Bible, Matthew 6.6? 6? Is that the one about not praying in public? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> right? I mean... <clears throat> you don't need a moment to pray in school, but you pray beforehand or after your own time. So the whole idea that, oh, we need to have our kids to pray in school, no, they don't. There's all sorts of times they can take the moment of something you know, productive. And the appeals court made it very clear in their decision that they're not infringing up on anybody's right to pray in school or in public. They can still do that. This suit doesn't address that at all. It's more about should the governor be allowed to tell everybody in Colorado to pray? And they said no. So, I mean, there's got to be if we lo- if we lose this fight, there's repercussions, right? I mean, because it sets a precedent, doesn't it? It does. Um, 
and it the, the thing that scares me and the, the reason I one reason I'm so concerned about this I have kids in grade school and this opens the door for teachers principals whatever to lead prayer in the school because they can say well the governor said we should do it and how do you come back against that right it's kind of like they're trying to make an end run around yeah and what, what they're trying to do is since the Constitution doesn't infringe on state rights, if they make this state thing, then the U.S. government can be in touch. Right. And in fact, Colorado has much stronger protections for civil liberties, in particular for religious freedom, than the U.S. Constitution does. So this case is brought under the state constitution, what's called the preference clause, that the gover government cannot uh, have any preference for any religion denomination. Um, and in fact, the Colorado Constitution is sprinkled with uh, religious freedom clauses, whereas U.S. Constitution is basically the establishment that this might have fallen under if it were federal court. But we've got a much better chance in state court than we had in federal court. And there was another case in the federal court, by the way, where FFRF brought the case against uh, President Obama uh, for the National Day of Prayer at the same time that they brought this one. On that one, they won in district court on the merits, but that one got thrown out on appeal. So even under the Establishment Clause, which is um, kind of under flux in how it's being applied and not as clear as to the freedom it allows, provides, uh, we still won under the merits of that one. So this one looks pretty good. So how, do you, how much do you think the people, like the governors who are doing this, are really behind it? And how much have they just been told, this is a win, do it, and like not recognizing it? You know what I mean? Do they, do they seem to be really invested or... There are a few um, that will show up for some of the events, but I think for the most part it's a political thing. And in fact, uh, Hickenlooper's and Bill Ritter's defense before him was that it's meaningless. It's just a piece of paper. It's, you know, it, it carries no weight. And that's ironically, in their fight to defend what they're doing, they're they're saying that it's not even important. Right. And you, it's so funny because you hear the same kind of thing where people are like, you know, why are you fighting against, you know, in God we trust being on the money? It's such a non-issue. Why is it important to you? Why are you fighting with this? What is wrong with you? And they're like, all right, well, if it's non-issue, let's just take it off then. We all win. Well, no, it should be there. It's like, okay, so it obviously does have a little bit of weight afterwards. But in your argument you try to make it sound frivolous is there is there an ad hoc or post something latin where you try to make your argument sound like what i'm fighting for isn't important unless it's taken away i don't know that's <laughs> there's a good question, logical it, fallacy for that logical there should be yeah the, Kim, the kimberly's first rule of douchebags <laughs> or something yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know that but it's scary to me that they're fighting for something that they don't even see the repercussions for uh, yeah, the, the, the thing is, if they were to win and it were ruled that, yes, it's not really that important, it's just a piece of paper and it's, it, it's ceremonial, that would give the government the ability to discriminate against gays, against blacks, against whomever, just by saying, well, um, it's 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 not important, and the Supreme Court decided that, so carte blanche to discriminate, to endorse these, you know. Right, so I guess then the, the next logical step is to look at the Good News Club, because they're kind of riding on the tail, the coattails of a lot of these decisions, aren't they? Yeah, Before the, we move on, can oh, I, I'm sorry, sorry can yeah, I, I'm, I just I wanted to ask you a quick question. So, one, when is this kind of coming down? Do you know any kind of dates, and is there anything that we can do? I mean, it's a, a case, so I can't imagine getting a petition to say, we really want it out, is going to help a court case. But is there anything that people can do? 
in this case, uh, we've rested our case with the Supreme Court. The amicus briefs have been filed by uh, a number of organizations, including the ACLU of Colorado and the American Humanist Association on our behalf. Um, at this point, it's just a sit and wait in this case. Um, it could be interesting when the decision does come down. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. You know, This has been uh, well over a year, year and a half now since it was appealed to the Supreme Court. Not clear on the timing, though, when it's going to come down. My question is, um, are other religious groups interested in fighting this with you? Like, if it's Bible verses that they're issuing, why not Muslims jump on board and say, mm -hmm. we want to pray with verses from the Koran? It's not uncommon to see that, and I kind of like that approach, really, when groups step up and, and cause these types of policies to backfire against the people who put them in place. Because mm -hmm. it really shows the hypocrisy when they stand up and say, oh, we didn't mean it, religious freedom for Muslims, we meant yeah. religious freedom for Christians. But, exactly. So it's not unusual to see other groups jump on issues like this. At this point, it's mostly the secular groups. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. If you want to, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Did you have anything else you want to, before we move on? I have another question oh, before I, uh, well he goes. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So my question is about blowback. Um, I've heard Seth Andrews, among others, argue that fighting church straight violations like the Ten Commandments and fire stations and stuff like that divert resources from more serious violations like the National Day Prayer or other issues um, and just serve to make atheists look like jerks. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to think that such violations should be fought, if for no other reason than public education, but are we really educating people? I think we are, um, but we're also providing more religious freedom for people as well. You know, when it comes to the argument that resources should be spent on something else instead, I mean, you could use that argument against, for example, why fight world hunger when there's murders, or why fight murderers when there's genocide? You know, there's well, always a more important issue. The religious uh, stuff just feels like it has to be triaged so much, because... Mm -hmm. Supply, monetary supplies are limited, and there's no shortage of violations. It kind of feels like those stuff is triage, then you're going to miss something sneaky coming down. <laughs> um, did you want to talk about uh, Good News Club, or did you want to? I don't know. What do we want to do? I mean, well, what he's linked perfectly. Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, so, we can always come back to whatever. So, we going on the uh. idea that you open up the prayer, uh, basically, with see um, from the state cap, waiting to add them some money. Now, the state itself put up the money, and right now, the state have decided, hey, we want to put up a money. If you're going to let the Christmas, we want one of our own. Chris, what I really love is to do is a bit playground type. <laughs> I feel like oh. that would be awesome. I love it. Uh, you know, I'm from Oklahoma. I know uh, the climate there, and I've seen groups do this with the spaghetti monster, the flying spaghetti monster. They'll ask that up, the counter across, right? the Satanists, is because uh, the people there believe in Satan as a bad guy. I have the playground. <laughs> <laughs> But and considering that person Satan, um, if you know anything about them, they'll always be a new woman. So I, I, I've been wondering exactly. I, I doubt they'd go quite. Obviously, there. you know, I, I say I love that approach. Obviously, the the answer is to not have any symbols. Uh, hopefully, this will get them to take it down. You know, if that playground. <laughs> and then, of course, the Hindus have to do a Lord Hanuman, who's basically, and it actually looks pretty cool. So I, I much prefer that. Than looking at the picture, see, is intriguing. <coughs> so if, if we're gonna go with religious. Idols, go for something cool looking. Looks like I think the Hindu. Well, how far uh, do we? How far do we take this? I mean, I mean, Christmas trees are technically a pagan symbol, right? But yet nobody, we, we don't seem to have as big a problem with it because we're so detached <laughs> from that. And the Christians have kind of owned them now, right? I mean, yeah. let's face it. But it isn't Christmas trees that we have a problem with, but nativity scenes. So what is the difference there? Well, nativity scenes. Okay. Itself. Well, yeah, it is. It's a pagan fertility symbol. But you can call it a holiday tree, where you can't call it a holiday nativity. I don't think. I mean, like you can't you can't whitewash a nativity scene the way you could whitewash a tree. I mean, the Christmas tree is 
I think, generally considered secularized. And okay. from an establishment clause standpoint, a matter of does it have a second purpose? Does it have the effect of advancing religion? And you could argue that either way, maybe with a Christmas, but way more so do you see. I just, I, I'm, my, I, I'm just wondering how far are people willing to take it, though? I mean, because there's a point when it does really become kind of ludicrous. Sure, well, that's the point. I mean, legitimately, if this goes, that part of nothing but religious um, statutes sure. from all the religions. And it's kind of so just, no, if you can't open the door to this, it, it, it's fair. Other solution is to just cite it. Right, but we would say that that's okay for a tree, but not a menorah, right? I mean, menorahs, right? Or is a menorah okay, too? I'm fine with Harper. <laughs> well, it hasn't been secularized, though. I, I'm fine with the nativity scene done. On, it, it's where it's at. I no, mean, I agree with that. That's and that's, and that's yeah, I agree with it, that. You know, the the safest approach for government would be don't put up Christmas to put up lights. Let people celebrate how they want to. Let the business put up what they want to right. put up on private like, property. On private property, right? Yeah. Right. On private property, of course. But um, once they you know start putting up some lights and a Christmas yeah. tree, it's a slippery slope <laughs> that's, to and other that's groups jumping yeah. in and say yeah. we need our symbol. And yeah. that's what we're seeing in Florida. So the next door, Florida, they put up an ATO. Chaz Stevens went and got permission to put up a festive Festivus. 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 For the rest of us. <laughs> That's right. Basically, it's a, a made-up holiday for Phil. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. If you say it's made up, I mean, you have to say Christmas is a made-up holiday, too. Right. Well, well so I mean, just be fair here. Okay. Fair and balanced. Another made-up holiday. <laughs> so another made-up holiday. And they joke to thing. And so they put up a sick call. It's a beer call. It's a beer kit. Of PBR. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, you're going to the door. But where does it stop? Because it's absurd stuff out of the wall. What I love about this approach is the way that the people who originally lobbied to put the Christian thing on public property and argued for freedom of religion all of a sudden are completely blindsided by the fact that other religions exist in the world. There's an article about the best no. Oh, man. Go on. I saw a Fox News article about the Festivus Bowl, and I don't know who the newscaster was, but... Oh, man. <laughs> Turns out this mic was off, so oh, a lot of Ian's and my brilliance was... Uh, <laughs> Hold on. You know what? Let's let's pause. Let's stop. Hold on. Oh, <laughs> Cookie break. Do we get something wrong? Do we say something you disagreed with? Or, on the off chance, we actually said something you did agree with? Let us know. Email us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com or leave us a voicemail at 720-295-7785. We'd like to hear all your comments, suggestions, and ideas for the show. All right. Now we're ready. We need Ian to reboot his network, though. <laughs> I'm going to reboot your network. So anyway, the newscaster, they played the clip from Seinfeld, and they're like, oh, that was such a funny episode. But the Festivus poll isn't funny. It's a sacrilege. <laughs> and she's talking about the fact that she has to drive all over town to find nativity scenes in order to show her children nativity scenes. And, and she finds this Festivus poll instead, and it was just, it was funny. I can drive all over town and not. Be able, you know, I'm. You always see nativity scenes. It's oh, yeah. like my children always are exposed to that. I have to drive all over the state to find a festivus. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Maybe more. But so the um, there's a follow-up article. The writer Dan O'Keefer, Keefe, who actually wrote the episode. Um, am I to understand that some humanoid expressed outrage that the baby Jesus was behind a pole made of beer cans? 
<laughs> it's like you're making a big deal over that. It, it is. So. It, it is interesting because I mean, once again, we're, we're, you're right. They're completely blindsided by this kind of stuff because they, this idea that they have the one true religion and and the, you know and I and I was listening to somebody the other day. This country, because it was founded with the one true religion, is going to do. Is going to do. You know, we will thrive because of it. And all these other places that have the wrong religion. Like Denmark and Finland and the Netherlands and you know, all the secular places, nations you know what, who are those doing places well. are awful. Can you imagine the education system in these places without the Bible? That are way higher than ours and doing much better? <laughs> oh, yeah, if you're looking at test scores. <laughs> and, and aren't most of those economies doing better also than ours? <laughs> if you're looking at numbers. <laughs> what about the crime rates? <laughs> if you're looking at numbers. But got to remember, we have the one true religion. Yeah. So right. So all those all those points come to you know come together. That is religion so important. They're telling us you know that um and um I don't know. Do we want to move on? No. I mean, I think it's an interesting point because we were talking about this a little bit before the show, just about the privilege that people are completely unaware of in their lives. That they've you know they've always had their Santa Claus, they've always had their Christmas tree, they've always had their nativity scene, and so they feel like they're losing rights when what they're really it's really just kind of getting normalized. It's it's kind of people who have just been putting up with their crap for so long are finally speaking up, and they're seeing it as as they're losing something or or and and really all they're doing is just being brought to the same level the rest of us have been living at the whole time. But but still not. I mean, and quite frankly, I don't like. I don't have special rights. You just don't have as many. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm going to finish up real quick. Okay. The Matt Walsh blog, it, uh, it's a, he's a um, Catholic, um, strongly conservative fundamentalist. You read through his stuff. He, oh, it, it's, it's frustrating. Anyways, the one I've linked to here, next up, forces the churches to perform gay wedding. He's basically going off on a recent um, lawsuit here in Colorado where a gay couple was getting married and a bakery refused to bake a cake for them. And they went to a lawsuit for it, and they got the bakery to force it. And he he goes into, you know, not understanding what is actually going on. But there was one quote here that is what I really want to say because, um, you know, we're talking about them not quite getting the whole thing. Okay, so this is from his blog. Try to appreciate the irony. A gay wedding is supposedly a victory for freedom of association, yet gay activists see no problem in forcing Christians to associate with it. The gays who pull these stunts are nothing but spiteful bullies. I wasn't in charge of fi- I wasn't in charge of finding someone to make our cake for our wedding, but if I had been and had accidentally ventured into a store owned by a Catholic hating baker, and if that baker told me that he did not want to be part of a Catholic ceremony, you know what I would do? I would find another baker. Well, wait a second. Okay, I, I maybe this is maybe we're entering the white privileged male portion of the show, <laughs> right? But as a private business, don't you have the right to refuse service to anybody? Uh, unless it's actual discrimination. I mean, you can't say whites only. You know, the, 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 there's a, a you know we fought through that okay. you know 50 years ago, and it seems like you know the gays have become the new blacks, okay. and you know. Are, are we going to start? You know, if that was to go the other way, we'd start seeing signs: "No homosexuals allowed." Okay. It's like, wait a minute, that's crossing the line. You know, I, okay, I under, and I understand that argument. But anyways, his claim is that basically he he's saying that Catholics, if they went into a place that um, was anti-Catholic and would serve them, they'd be completely fine with that. And say, oh no, that's your own preference. And we all know that is pure bullshit. We, we've seen that time and time again because um, the Christians loved this plane of victims when they decide, hey, wait a minute, you're taking my rights away. That's just what we were talking about. We've seen it over and over again, and yet here he is claiming, oh no, no, we would never do anything like that. Well, the a big part of the religion has always been playing the victim card. 
since the uh, since the earliest days of Christianity, the thought of <coughs> martyrdom has been up uppermost and foremost as part of the religion. Okay, great. So, so we so if it's a when it, the line is kind of discrimination, right? So if I want to have a women's only group and me, right? Women only and me. Well, but that's a group. There's certain levels, you know, and, and that's what came up with the Boy Scouts. Remember, that was officially approved that being a private group, there were certain levels of you can say this is what we're looking for in membership. Right. Although the, the Boy yeah. Scouts then basically got um, or started falling apart afterwards and have now since said, okay, maybe we need to wise up and, you know, Right, because of changing. public opinion right. in that particular case, right? So, but they were allowed to be bigots. Yes, they were. So, but it's not quite the same thing as a business because you're not offering a service, right? Okay. Because you, you look at it, um, we can't have the grocery stores telling what you know. It, we don't want these type of people in here. Well, that deprives the people of access to necessity to some extent. I mean, you need to go to grocery stores. The, the stuff everyone needs. You, you know, the, the, there are certain levels of we need access to things. You can't have the stores busy dictating that I don't want certain people to have access to it, and you can't let that go. You know, if, if it starts at any level. It's just going to get carried away, and the, you know, because that happened in the South. There were black people that basically, you know, had to drive miles and miles to get food because you know the towns wouldn't let them use any of the facilities. Right. Well, we had the, the same issue. Um, remember, um, I think uh, the Center for Inquiry lawsuit. Um, they were not allowed to uh, a private business um, kicked them out, but because they were offering their services to the public, they you know they couldn't jack them for those very reasons, right? So. You're right that people don't do not understand those um, those particular arguments. So Hobby Lobby has a case. I think it's a Hobby Lobby yeah, case Hobby Lobby. at the Supreme Court of the United States right now about, um, or they may take it about um, Hobby Lobby doesn't want to their health care under Obamacare to have to pay for birth control for their employees because they don't believe in birth control and they are claiming religious freedom to deny their employees access to birth control. Right, and so now that's. That's a slippery slope argument too, because now I, if I have a business and I say, well, I don't believe in prostate cancer pro or, 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 or how about I don't believe in allopathic medicine to begin with. And go. I'm only going to cover homeopathic medicine, right? Or if, if they win that argument, then my argument stands as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, they'll be completely blindsided by the fallout of that. Yeah. That goes well. On the other hand, back to the cake thing. I would be, it's a safety thing for me. I would be concerned about somebody making a cake for that didn't want to make a cake for me because I'd be concerned about what might be in that cake. Well, but there's now there's a legal issue. I mean that I mean yeah, I, I understand the point you're making. Um they probably still did they go back and get the cake from those people? Probably not. Even if they won that lawsuit. Right. But here the FFRF had this issue with um her name Jessica Alquest, right? You remember that? And um um where people didn't want to deliver her flowers. Isn't this the same kind of issue? Yeah, uh, no. If, if you're doing a service, you can't. You know, you brought up the. You know, you can um, nice service to anyone. Generally, that goes people who are causing problems. I mean, if someone mm -hmm. comes into your store and they're rowdy, they're doing something inappropriate, they're causing other customers feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, that's when you say, okay, listen, you guys need to leave. Okay. But you know, beyond that, it shouldn't be anyone's business what your customer's religion, sexual orientation, anything like that is. You know, they come in. It, they are customers. You treat them like you know you should everyone else, and don't let your own personal bigotry get in the way. Because you know that that's besides that's poor business management. That's also you know counter to productive society. Okay. Now we've, we've kind of gotten off of where I want to go, but maybe this works. Now I want to go back to uh, churches in the schools, and this is and now I want to talk. I I I I want to talk about 
churches using the schools? Because Mac, you brought this up the other day that there was a Baptist church. Um, right. Right. And and so and and this is what the the Good News Club is doing. And so, Mike, tell us a little about the Good News Club. Since you're sitting right here, all right, you read the book too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would encourage any listener who cares about these types of issues to read The Good News Club by Catherine. It was an expose on group um, backed by the Child Evangelism Evangelist Fellowship that has targeted schools across the nation. They've been very, very successful for decades. And the reasons for their success go back uh, decades. A Supreme Court decision in 2001 that was key. Milford, I don't know how much background you want on that. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, the Milford case, I think, was kind of important because that is the case that kind of got them into the schools. <clears throat> it is. Um, I can go back further. I mean, the Equal uh, Access Act, the, the Constitutional mm-hmm. Prayer Amendments, it, it's what opened up. Let me let me go to the Equal Access Act okay. of 1980. Signed into law by Ronald Reagan. Came out of attempts to get a Constitutional Prayer Amendment so that could pray in school, and it was compromised. But it opened up the doors for churches to go into school, and that's why we see driver on a Sunday morning, you'll see a church in every school access if they're allowing other groups access. So it's basically the the, the rule is if you allow um, other non-religious groups to come in, you have to allow the religious ones too, at least in high schools. And it was worded that way, secondary school. Um, okay. Well, okay. And there's a lot of nuance in the Milford case and some other cases that, that came before it in terms of how young the children are and how vulnerable they are. High school kids can discern, you know, a lot more than little kids can, things like that. But the the Milford case was it came in the late 90s, and I think it was decided in 2001, was where the Good News Club was going into grade schools, setting up half an hour before school got out, and um, then the kids would be presumably walked from their classrooms to another classroom to be taught Bible studies by some staff members who volunteered at the school. So it basically looked like school-sponsored school curriculum, and they set it up on purpose to make it look like that. Um, that wound its way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, in a very bad decision, said this is constitutional. It was a split decision. Um, and ever since then, they've been replicating that and, and getting into schools. So, I mean, the, and the big problem is here is that there are children who cannot differentiate between the two. And, mm-hmm. and didn't the case um, kind of hinge on the idea that the kids were capable of doing that? Uh, in, in, to some extent, yeah. The the way the law is usually applied is that from a, the the standpoint of a reasonable observer, this must not uh, promote religion or um, advance any religious cause. There was an argument made that people in the community would not be swayed. But the the other side said, well, you have to look at this through the eyes of a six-year-old because they're going to think this is government speech and they're not going to understand the difference between outside organization and their teachers uh, telling them. So, yeah, there, that did come up in the case. Well, and there, I mean, there are particular points in the book where she's talking about a student who was very upset when somebody told her something counter to what she learned in the Good News Club because her teacher had told her that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. why why would you t- why why would she learn that in school if it wasn't true? Right. This little girl broke down in tears because um, I don't know. It was she was told she told another kid that that she was going to hell if uh, she wasn't a Christian, and the other one said, "No, no, I'm not." And they got they got into a discussion about. Uh, theology, if you if you will, six or seven years old, she broke down in tears, thinking that well, it's got to be true because my teacher said it. So yeah, right. So and but this this is given religion not just equal speech, but special rights as far as speech is concerned. Isn't that true? It was argued that, and it has been the case has been made that yeah, instead of um, relying on establishment clause 
law and decided cases, the court in this case leaned more towards free speech from a religious standpoint, and that carried the day. So they gave more value to the free speech of the private group coming in than they did to the religious freedom of uh, the students. And I think that this is – I can illustrate this by um, my afternoon porn club would probably not be allowed. Probably not. But isn't it kind of the same free speech issue? Can you make a distinction? From a free speech perspective, um, probably not. I mean, there's a lot of other nuance in this particular case when it came to the religion. Um, good luck with that, though. <laughs> thank you. you, thank you. <laughs> you know, schoolers everywhere are celebrating that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are. My mind made an interesting but, con- connection on this, though. When you're talking about children not being able to discern between a, a school-sponsored activity and a private organization... My thought went to the seduction of the innocent law, where they did the whole thing with you don't have sexy covers on comic books because it causes children to have impure thoughts. The whole Comics Code Authority thing. Mm. And we're looking at the same kind of situation here. But, of course, this is all right because it's godly. Yeah. yeah. Air quotes. So porn is not godly, but rape is. If it's legitimate. If it's legitimate. If it's legitimate. Because a woman's body has a special meaning. Speaking of uh, backfiring, the the Equal Access Act has actually been used by the ACLU to defend the rights of gay-straight alliance clubs in high schools. They've brought that in a lot of states, and on its merits, it's never been... They've always had to go with the gay-straight alliance, which is, you know, of course, pisses the religious right off. But that was one of the unintended consequences right. that they have to allow those those groups in. And that that actually is probably a more realistic case than porn club. Uh, more <laughs> probably so, although they may not think so in some they jurisdictions. Might yeah, they might not. So, but this is not so. It's not just a good news club, right? It's other churches that are using these facilities that are doing their darndest to make it look like they are part of that school. Yeah, you know, you have to look at every case um, individually. The Good News Club is so successful because they keep replicating this formula the way they did it before. Um, There was another case that came before Milford, uh, Lamb's Chapel, where there was a church coming in, and it was actually, they were showing some films by James Dobson in the evenings, but the difference is they didn't start until 7 o'clock at night. They didn't try to make it look like it was teachers, um, and it was also for a limited period, like four weeks. And the ACLU actually supported their rights under the Equal Access Act to be able to go in and do that um, because they were not trying to look like they were part of the school. Now, it makes me uncomfortable seeing churches in my kids' grade school. It does, even on Sundays. But, you know, the courts have have set the precedent on that as well. And it's not nearly as egregious as right. as trying to, to make the kids think that this really is school-sponsored. Well, and that's the point I made to, to, to Mac right. last but week. But can't they all just use abandoned movie theaters right. like There's normal religions do? But I was thinking specifically of the Morningstar Ministries that she that Catherine Stewart talks about in her book that were that were going above and beyond. They were coming in during the weekend giving out cookie stuff. You know, hey, we're the church that's here on the weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's bad. Right. So, so there is there is a line where I, I think that we have to accept these things, and there's a line where it where it's where it's gone over. And the Good News Club and Morningstar Ministries clearly gone over the line. Yes, unfortunately, um, it's it's hard to. Make a, bring a complaint against a good news club. I don't know as much about Morningstar, um, 
But there are approaches. There are things that you can do if you find uh, this operating in your school. But the best thing to do is go to the school board and have them draft a policy that will keep them out of there in the first place. That's tough to do, too. Um, there was another speaker at the conference that, that talked about that. He's an attorney here in Colorado. He's put together a framework for um, school boards to put together for allowing groups to come in. Yeah, that was Eric Cernier, right? Yes, now, isn't in his case he was he was not an atheist, isn't that isn't that true? That's true. He I don't know where he stands now, but he's he grew up going to these uh, good news clubs, and at the time they used to do them in schools and churches. They've been around for decades. It's only recently they've started going into schools. But he uh, he's pretty familiar with how they work. And it's another one of those double-edged swords of you need to craft that language correctly so you don't also kick out the chess club. Because that's Mm -hmm. usually not your intention, but Mm -hmm. if they're not worded correctly, um, it's one of the reasons, I mean, I I think what Eric's doing is is kind of neat. And at the same time, I'm not a big fan of it because I I think it's the wrong approach of um of going in and that's just my non-lawyery opinion mm-hmm. but um i just i think it's going to be one of those ones where kind of like you said with the the uh gay straight alliances kind of coming in under you know this unintended consequence from their side i think there's going to be unintended consequences mm-hmm. uh, of losing <coughs> some things um and it is you know it goes back to my did you call it my first law of don't be a douchebag or something <laughs> right um you know what the what what these places are doing, they, they're very, very good at understanding the law and just exactly where the lines are drawn. So they're, they're doing stuff that's just a little bit over. So you're like, all right, well, they're legally allowed to be there. So what if they set up about 10 minutes early? Really? Are we going to have a court case over 10 minutes early? And but they're, they're counting on it. Yeah, but they're counting on that kind of thing and they'll mm-hmm. they'll frame it as you're getting too upset about nothing um and being and, a douchebag about and it and only bad people would be anti-cookie right right so it makes you look bad when you go against it yeah so my non-lawyerly opinion uh, first of all there is no settled law you know this this will come back around hopefully maybe someday with a different sitting court who would who would rule differently on it if we have different supreme court justices at the time but to get it back there the facts of the case need to be substantially different um, or the world changes enough and we progress enough that ever it's evidently wrong and they agree to review it again and and realize that maybe we might make the right decision the first time but i think a better chance is um finding a case that's different substantially in the some of the facts the problem is they're trying to make sure they do it the same way they did in milford yeah. But I mean, do we want to kick out the gay straight line? I mean, that that's kind of the repercussion here, isn't it? I mean, well, you could overturn you, you could overturn Milford without overturning the Equal Access Act. Okay, um, we don't want to kick out the gay straight alliance, but we do want to get rid of the chess club because they're smug bastards <laughs> and masturbators. We, the chess club? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, apropos of nothing, how old is Scalia? And when is oh, he yeah, when is he? Uh, <laughs> right? Well, Clarence Thomas is no better. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of no yeah. betters on there. But so, no, but the next issue that I have, and, and this uh, this one is, it's not just Hawaii, but I think this is where, where it's making the most news, is that so these schools, what they do is they'll come in, they'll have a contract to work on Sundays, right, in the, for a few hours. But, and they, and they, they pay a certain amount. 
But what they're doing is that they're they're overstaying their welcome. Is that so? They're they're not staying just their amount of time. They're also they'll they'll come in the day before, and they're using that school more than they're paying for. Well, and they're tax exempt organizations. Well, this is where I have an that issue problem too. too. Yeah. So, but the so there, there's two problems here. One, if let's say that they're paying thirty bucks an hour, and the facility costs sixty to keep it open, that means that that other that other thirty dollars per hour has to be is being the state is paying that right. And Morningstar Ministries. Um, they were in out of New York, and you know somebody asked them how much they were paying for this. Oh well, they said, well we don't pay for for space. That's too expensive in New York. What we do is we just kick a little bit of money to the to the janitor, you know, so that they're paying the janitors off to, to use that space. So a lot in many of these many of these cases, what's happening is that we're the schools are losing a whole lot of money because they're they're not charging appropriately for the space. But of course, the issue with charging for space is that they have to charge the chess club the same amount because. Because it has to be equal across the board, isn't, isn't that true, Mike? Yep. So, in that that we have a have a have a problem there because the chess club you want to sponsor, right? So, so can we sponsor some things and not sponsor others, or is it is it straight across the board? There's nothing that we can do about that. It seems to me like each individual instance is a demarcation problem of its own, right? And that's what makes it so tricky to just across, yeah. make an across the board judgment. So, so well, you could a, start by sponsoring student activities, which the chess club would be a student activity. But, of course, that opens up to church activities run by students. Well, that's okay. Actually, I prefer that. Yeah, I mean, if it's a if it's a prayer club or whatever run by kids yeah. for kids, and it you know, yeah, I, I, that, that's it's a fine. it's a different situation. Well, can you make can you can you have a, a demarcation that way? So that if it's by kids for kids. As opposed to another group coming in, of course, then you just get a kid to then you get a kid to sponsor it instead of an adult. I don't know. I mean, it, now we're at the, I think we're on a slippery slope now. Yeah, it's very tricky. I, I don't know exactly where to do it. You know, without enacting some kind of law that prevents people from being douchebags and taking over it, it, it really does get tough. Because yeah, I mean, how many kids would just parrot what their parents told them say to get right. the church in there? You know, and even lesson and stuff like that. Yeah. I I really don't know exactly how it goes. And again, what what frustrates me is, you know, you can't go into any town in this country and not be surrounded by churches. Like they don't seem to be lacking space. They seem to be everywhere. Why, yeah. you know, and and the Good News Club was was kind of blatant about this. If you dig into it, I guess they're not blatant uh, in their own press, but you know, offered free space somewhere else. The Good News Club, for example, declined that offer to go meet in a church next door to the school for free. They'd rather pay for the privilege of being there. They have an agenda. Yeah. Well, those type of groups consider kids a very fertile recruiting ground if you can get them young and, and get them on your side you know that's almost the only way to get them <laughs> <laughs> first well, of all kimberly you can't pass an anti-douchebag law because you know you think that prisons are overpopulated now <laughs> well that's a i wasn't suggesting prison as a uh, <laughs> as a punishment <laughs> second, rule, the second thing <laughs> the first rule of prayer club is you don't talk about prayer club. That would make it really great. I would support that prayer club. Yeah, but um, I think that there are some actual statistics statistics on that, and I think they're in Catherine's book. And I think that it's that eight to eight or six to eighteen that is the best time to indoctrinate people. After that, it's very unlikely that you'll get them. And before that, it's hard to get. Them. You know, it's it's when that when they kind of start to think for themselves. That's the point where you want to nail them. That's the point at which you want to tell them what to think. Yeah, exactly. Nailing them is probably not the the right <laughs> adjective. That's the Catholics. That's right. the Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> well, I, I guess it depends on if a cross is involved or not. <laughs> 
So, I mean, to kind of, to kind of maybe even get towards wrapping this up, you know, we kind of keep asking, it keeps coming around the question of where that line is as to when we should do something about it, you know, and I guess it is a case by case basis. I don't think you could write any kind of, um, get involved here, don't get involved there. Well, just broadly, but um, it is really frustrating. And I guess it really does come down to, you know, what I found amazing is that a lot of these cases are, is one person standing up and agreeing to be the plaintiff in a case. Um, and if if you could maybe talk about that a little bit, because my understanding is you, you probably didn't appear in front of the Supreme Court to argue this, right? No, my attorneys have done all the legwork. Right. Um, when it comes to cases like these, though, and there are violations all across the country that have been going on, sometimes for years or decades before somebody complains. So there's presumably a lot more we don't even know about. Groups like the ACLU or FFRF will sometimes hear about a big case in the news. Then they'll have to look for members that they can reach out to to so that they can have standing. Otherwise, they can't bring a case. They can mm-hmm. write a, a letter. Right. They can complain to the media. But unless they have someone with standing in that jurisdiction to who's willing to stand up and be a plaintiff... Um, there's not a lot you can do legally. So talk maybe a little bit about what are the perils of being a plaintiff? Is it bad? Is it, you know, in, in a case like this, I would, I would guess the, um, the representation is being donated. You're not paying the ACLU to do it. Um, so, I mean, has it been really rough? I mean, it's mm-hmm. been going on and dragging on for years, but how much does that affect your day-to-day life? Very little. Um, and it's the FFRF in this case oh, that um, is representing me. You know, I gave a, I spent some time with our attorney to tell him why this is a problem for me and my family and violates my conscience, all this kind of stuff. And from there, they keep me up to date as things move forward. They call me to let me know um, we won in the appeals court and we thought it was over kind of sort of but then no big surprise when they the state appealed um <coughs> mostly for five years it's just been me following the case to keep up with it every once in a while i have some contact with the attorneys but it's not a lot what i expect when if the case comes down in our favor there may be some headlines maybe some media interviews and need to be prepared for those but as for the the amount of work the hasn't been a lot i mean the, the facts in the case are pretty clear-cut and they weren't uh contested so you would you would recommend to somebody and say, hey, you know, yeah, there's going to be some things you need to be ready for, but this isn't going to disrupt your entire life. That I you would can be, stand up and do it. I'd be careful. I wouldn't do something like this on my own. I would. I, I, I'm really glad to have uh, a group like um, FFRF or there's a number of other national groups that have the resources to do something like this. Um, I don't think I'd want to take it on on my own. I applaud those who do and who do it well. Mm-hmm. So you haven't had a lot of repercussions, but Kimberly, you're involved in one. I mean, you don't have a lot of repercussions, but you are be calling names over the phone. Yeah. Um. So I got I got held or put up as the president of the Humanists of Colorado. There was a recent case down in um, Highlands Ranch where a school was being involved in this um, this program to to get toys and and gifts for um for needy kids, and it was going through an evangelical um group organization um that were you know then taking the toys that were donated and packaging them up with bible verses and sending them out and stuff um and and i got involved because a a letter was drafted by the uh, um the american humanist association basically saying you're violating the constitution here what you're doing is illegal you need to stop and um in this case the school did the school recognized really really quickly that they had no leg to stand on and stopped but the parents were outraged they felt that the humanists were picking on them and um were you know trying to ruin christmas and all this kind of stuff um 
I got, like I said, drawn in just because they found my name as the president of the local chapter. I didn't know anything about it. Um, it was brought, the, the request for the humanist to get involved was brought by a single parent. Or at least I, I know of one parent. I shouldn't say it's a single. It might have been more. But I know of one parent anyway who was concerned about this evangelical group um, having having this work done on school time and with school funds and with school administration um, doing it. Um, so I just did a couple of interviews. It was no big deal. It was maybe an hour out of my life or whatever. Um, but being accessible on the Internet is, uh, yeah, I get to see old friends from elementary school. Um People who think that I'm trying to ruin Christmas also can find me. Uh, so, um, so I did. I got a couple of interesting phone calls. I don't even know if I would label them as threatening, um, but I'm hard to threaten, maybe, or I just don't take them seriously, or whatever. <laughs> um, but there was some nasty language. There were some nasty calls that came out of nowhere, um, and uh, it was, I don't know, disturbing. I was surprised that so many people were so vehement and would, were, were so insistent on not listening to anything. Like I tried to have like a conversation with, cause I mm-hmm. wasn't getting defensive or anything. Um, and it didn't work. Not, not once. Um, but I was surprised that so many people took the time to look me up to find me to yell at me. <laughs> wow, that's cause you're going to hell, Missy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I know that. I, I've been, that's been confirmed by a number of, uh, people who read the articles or watched the TV. Right, but you're not going to hell for that. That might not be the only reason, but certainly that's contributing. Um, so that was, I mean, it's, it's weird, um, and, and disturbing. And I can understand why some people wouldn't want to be involved. Um, you know, and I do know though that some people can do these kind of things anonymously where they let FFRF be the, that's your contact person. You have a problem with it, call them up and let them know. Um, I used my own name. And again, not even on the behest of the American Humanist Association. <laughs> they kind of forgot to tell me it was coming. <laughs> uh, we had to talk about that. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I can, th- there are ways of getting involved that doesn't, if you're not up for that kind of contact, I think you can kind of avoid it. I don't know. Have you, have you heard of people avoiding it completely or when it gets all the way through? Sure. The, you often have to ask the court for anonymous, um, to be represented anonymously, and they'll usually allow it in cases like this, mm. where the attorney is out there, uh, the organization is out there, but the, the plaintiff is anonymous. Mm. Okay. I think the dichotomy is interesting between, like, on on paper, legally, it's all very obvious, and it's all very clean-cut in most cases, this establishment clause business. But on the other side, it just goes immediately to harassing blowback yeah. in all of these cases, and that's yeah. unfortunate. In this, in this particular case, yeah, the, the school, like I said, completely knew they didn't have anything to stand on and, and were ready to just take the cease and desist letter and, and do the ceasing and desisting. Um, but yeah, it is funny that, that the people who are outraged still don't understand the actual story. Mike, I was curious. You said you've got attorneys handling this in the courts. Who's paying your attorneys? Freedom from Religion Foundation. Okay. So you're not footing the bill yourself, which would probably be lots and correct, lots of money. Correct. FFRF has um, a number of staff attorneys, and then they've got some not on staff in, in Wisconsin and in Colorado who are on this. And they're, they're doing pro bono work, basically? Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if they get uh, court fees back and lawyers' fees if they win the case. That might be the case. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, guys, I think we're out of time. So, uh, thank you all for joining for our 100th episode. Yay! Yay. And thanks, Mike, for coming down and, and joining us. Yay! <laughs> thanks for having me. Honor to be here. All right. 
All right, say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Good night. That's another one in the can. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time you're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720-295-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Sharealike No Derivatives 3.5 license. So, hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please, just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Cannell. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraitry.